Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, we fall has hit and it's already gone. And uh, it was good to have those two days of fall. And uh, if you haven't lived in Texas a while, you'll see how truthful I am. And uh, we'll have two days of winter, and uh, then we're back to summer. And so it's a good good place to live. Uh, Columbus Day is here tomorrow. Kids know school, right? Um, maybe a couple of days. We've got a lot of people on the road since they had an extended weekend, so I know uh, our, our streaming online is probably being uh, blown up a little bit, so that's good. It's a good day we live in so that you can, uh, you can participate and be on the road, and so we appreciate those people very much. But it's so good to see you today, and some of you may be guests. We're so glad you're here. Man, you're searching. There's a lot of good churches in this community. I'm telling you, there are a lot of good ones, and so... And I believe we're one of them. So I'm glad that you're here today to worship with us. I want you to take your Bible or your device or your phone or whatever you have. And I want you to stand with me. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you'll stand with me, I want to read. And then we will then we will pray, see what God has for us today. Uh, if you are a guest or you haven't been here in a while, we are w- working through uh, Peter's letter called 1 Peter. And uh, we're in chapter 3 beginning with verse 13. So let me read to the end of the chapter and then pray and see what God has for us on his word today. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Man, what a great passage, and I look forward for us looking at it. So let's go before the Lord. I want to ask you, as you come before the Lord today, just just ask, Lord, is there anything in me? Search my heart, O oh God. Is there anything that would keep me from hearing from the Lord and being obedient to what he is speaking to you today? And so, just with that thought in mind, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we push pause for all of the busyness that's going on around us. All the stuff that's screaming at us to do, to be at, to give our money to, to give our time to. Lord, we just push pause right now and we come unto the maker of heaven and earth. And declare that you are God. 
We declare that you are holy. You're set apart. There's no other God. And Lord, you desire to commune with us right now. So Lord, please open the eyes of our heart. Open our ears that we may be attentive to what you're saying. And Lord, for the person that has maybe found their way in here and this is all new to them, I pray that they would have clear understanding that there is a God who loves them and has provided all they need through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, let your word go forth with clarity, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a, there was a pastor of a local church, and uh, it was a Saturday morning. The winds had come in the night before, and his, his privacy fence has kind of gotten blown down. So he was got up early, grabbed his hammer and nails, and is out there in the backyard, and he's working on his fence, trying to get it hammered back up. Uh, and a little neighborhood boy sees what's coming, what's going on, so he comes into the backyard and just starts watching the preacher. And so he's watching him to see, uh, see what he's doing and everything. And finally, the, the preacher just stops and says, okay, uh, why are you here? Do you, do you want to learn how to use hammer nails or put up the fence or what do you want? And the little boy said, no, the reason I'm here, he said, I want to see what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. You know, we are all being watched all the time. I, I'm, I'm telling you, once somebody especially finds out you're a Christ follower or a pastor, man, we live under a microscope. We, we get watched all the time. I was having lunch with a guy last week, uh, a guy that does not come to Central. We're friends and uh, we're, we're eating. And uh, ran into somebody that I knew, and, and he said, Mark, you've been here so long. He said, is there any place in the community that you can go to where you don't know somebody? And I thought about it a minute, and, and usually that's the case. Anywhere I go, I, I do bump into somebody I know. And I told him this. I said, we've lived here so long that I can't go anywhere in the community where I don't bump into somebody that used to come to Central. It, oh, did you hear that little chuckle? That was, but you, you're going to do that because you're being watched constantly. And uh, my life's being watched. Al's being watched. Jim, all of our staff, we're being watched. We're, we're under a microscope. But when somebody finds out you're a Christian, boy, they are watching you. They're watching you. Do you handle life the same way they do? You know, do, do you, how do, how do you do it when, when uh, your kids rebel? How do you do, deal with it when you get the bad health report? How do you deal with it when your money is low? How do you deal with it when you're faced with temptation to do the wrong thing? How do you handle it? They don't want to see that you're perfect. They just want to know, how do you handle this? And so when we look at First Peter, just to kind of bring you current with what we've walked through, Peter is writing to first century Christians that have been scattered. I mean, they are scattered, and these particular churches are in modern-day Turkey. And that's where they are, and he's writing to them. And he tells them, say, listen, you are strangers and aliens here. You're, In other words, you're foreigners and sojourners. You're just passing through this earth. You're here for a short time, but you're going to pass on through. But I want you to know something. You're chosen vessels. Your royal priesthood, you are treasured to God. You're very special to Him. And you need to rid yourself of certain things, and you need to 
embrace certain things because you're going to be living life on mission right where you're at. And it's the same thing for us today. Whether you're in school or you're in work or in your neighborhood, you're living life on mission 24-7. And you're thinking, well, I don't know if I like that or not. Then you're a bad missionary. You are a missionary. You are living life on mission everywhere you are. And so we talked about that. And Peter said, uh, you know, that we should be the best citizens in the government. We should be the best citizens that exist. We should be the best employers or employees or students. We ought to be the best. And we ought to be have the best marriages that exist on this planet. And last week we talked about the church, how we ought to be attractive and winsome to people in the way that we love one another. And, and this is what we're called to do. Well, today, uh, Peter takes a little bit of, a, of, a, of another route because these people were going through certain struggles. I tell you that they were under the domination of the Romans, and uh, this made it very difficult because they were accused of things. They were accused of being cannibals because they participated in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They were, they were said they were cannibals. They were, they were uh, said that they were incest, being involved in incest because they called each other brother and sister. They were, they were accused of being atheists because they would not bow down to Caesar. Women were kill, held way down in low esteem as almost like objects. Children, even worse, if they didn't want a child, they just got rid of it. Infanticide, they just would get rid of it. And so this is what they're growing up under, and they're a light in this dark place. They're living totally different lives. But what is going to be the results of the way they're living? There's three points I want to make to you, and and you can write them down. I always encourage you to take notes. But the first one happens in verse 13, and the first point is this. It is probable that your life will make impact. It is probable that your attractive way of living, your winsome way of living, will make an impact. Notice what he says in verse 13. He said, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? If you're doing the right things, if you're being the best citizens, you're being the best uh, employers, employees, slaves and masters, is what he talks about. If you're being the best, if you're attractive in this way, the chances are you're probably going to make impact in this world. And we've seen that throughout history. We've seen how that the, the Christian church has made incredible impact in our world. And if you don't realize it, let me just tell you that Jesus was a radical. If you did not know that, Jesus was a radical. He, um, all those things I talked about, what he did for children, what he did for women, what he did for the poor, for the suffering, all life was of incredible value to Jesus. And he was radical in his approach when it came to that. And so when the church came along, the church was going to be radical in, in being the same way. And throughout history, this has been proved out. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Health and hospitals. Jesus was a healer. And you look at the, throughout history, most hospitals and clinics came out of Christian people. Even in our community we live in, we have St. David's Hospital. We have Seton. We have Baylor, Scott, and White. 
these came from Christian rootage. And you, you go to any place, any major city that has a hospital, there's a good chance it was a Baptist hospital or Methodist hospital or Catholic hospital. These came along because life was valuable to Jesus, and so it's valuable to his followers. And so most hospitals have come about because of that. What about the poor? Taking care of the poor. We have, we've seen how the poor were of incredible importance to Jesus. In fact, when he's doing the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit right off the bat. But he's, he's talking about those that have less than. And they meant a great deal to him. Well, if they mean a lot to Jesus, then they're going to mean a lot to us. So you look throughout history. Things like the Salvation Army came along to take care of the poor. Uh, you talk about Samaritan's Purse that exists to take care of the poor. The soup kitchen that, that we go and serve at in downtown Austin came about because of Christian wants, wanting to help the poor. The Round Rock Serving Center right here in town. The Sacred Heart Medical Clinic right here in town. These came about to love on the poor because of they were of value to Jesus. Here's, here's another one. What about women? Uh, you know, many people think Gloria Steinem was the one that, that stood up for all the women's rights, and that's where it started. No, it started with Jesus. Jesus elevated women more than any, anything else that has ever happened. Because in the day, in the first century, a woman was seen as an object. He saw them as, as of great value and raised them up. In fact, he said, you know, we're, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And so he elevated women. And so we, we see how important that is in our day. And, uh, we look at things like, uh, what, what's happening over at the Texas Baptist Children's Home and the Family Cottage Program. How that women who have been abandoned or have been set apart have been taken care of and taken in. And this was birthed because it was important to Jesus. It's important to us as his followers. And there's many other, uh, ministries that have helped, happened in that area. Um, what about children? Um, children are of great value. I read a letter from a Roman soldier in the first century to his wife. And you gotta remember, children, um, were just throwaways. And he wrote his wife because he was going off to battle and she was expecting a child when, when he left. He knew it would not be back when the child was born. He said, if it, if it is a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, go ahead and discard it. That's what they could do in that day. And here comes Jesus in the midst of this, and what does he do? He elevates children. They're of great value to him. So they're of great value to his church and to us as people. I look at things like Texas Baptist Children's Home came into existence to take care of children, and many of you work there or you're involved in, in, in that ministry. Agape Pregnancy Resource Center. We believe all life is of great value. And so that exists. It was birthed out of the church to serve in this area that children could have life. Adoption agencies, many of them, came birthed out of the church of Jesus Christ. So probable that when you live a life that's winsome and attractive, it's going to make high impact. Let me look at a couple of others. How about crisis? Uh, when it comes to crisis, you know, when the Harvey hurricane hit, it, that it, the first ones on the ground were church and faith-based groups that were there. Why? Because life is of value to Jesus. It's of value to us. You look at worldwide. You've got Samaritan's Purse. 
You've got the Southern Baptist yellow hat men who are always the first boots on the ground when it comes to crisis. You look at ADRN, which was birthed out of the churches together. These are, these are things that, that God has birthed because they're of value to Jesus. They're of value to us as well. One other one. How about education? You know, a, a child was, was brought up in this, in this culture and, and, uh, very little education was going to come about. But what did the Christians start doing? They started caring and started teaching. And we know this. We know that all universities, when they first started, were, were training grounds for Christian worldview and training pastors to take the gospel to the world. You look at, you look at many colleges today, even the Harvards and Yales, that's what they were originally uh, established for, out of the church. We know they have shifted from that. But what I'm trying to get across to you is that when you live the attractive, winsome life of Jesus, it's probably going to make high impact, just like the church has throughout history. But point number two is this. It's possible that your life will come under attack. Notice what it says in verse 14. Because he shifts gears. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. keeping a clear conscience. So that those who speak against you will be ashamed of their slander that they brought against you. He says this. It's probable that uh, your life is going to be attractive and make a difference. But it is possible that you're going to come under attack. And I thought about that a little bit. I thought, man, why does the world come against Christians so much? And I thought about it this way. If I'm asleep in my bed and uh, it's the middle of the night. Pam gets up in the middle of the night and she flips the lights on. That is probably not going to be greeted with a favorable response right off the bat. Because I am in darkness. My eyes have been used to darkness. And all of a sudden this blinding light hits you. It's frustrating all of a sudden. It's the same when we as the children of God are the light of the world, which Jesus called us, that when that light shines upon darkness, the darkness cannot comprehend it. It, it. it will not put up with it. It will try to put out that light best that it can. Satan hates anything that resembles Jesus. And so when that light comes in, all of a sudden, there is this bowing up, this coming against to try to put the light out, right? You see it all the time. Now, most of you in this room, your life is not on the line for being a follower of Jesus. We still live in a, a, a country that we're very blessed and we have a lot of rights. And I know some of you that have lived here a long time are thinking, yeah, but those rights are getting more and more infringed on, especially in the schools, especially in the workplace, especially these kind of things. I agree. I agree they are. And uh, yet it's not the worst it's ever been in our country. But yet we see these things going on. And so the question is, is how do we handle it when we are attacked because what Peter says here, notice in verse 14, he says, when you suffer for what is doing right, 
You are actually blessed. And I'm thinking, blessed? Really? Well, how are we blessed? And I thought of three reasons, three, three uh, instances of how we are blessed. Number one is God's presence will always be with you in the midst of your suffering. I love that. I love the fact that if I am suffering, it just brings God on even more. He, he says in Isaiah 57, I was reading this this morning, he says, I live in a high and lofty place. However, I also live with those who are lowly and contrite of heart. Suffering brings contrition. It brings that brokenness in your life. And God just floods in. So first of all, whatever you're suffering from, from being a child of God, you can step up to say, hey, I know God is with me. Here's a second blessing that comes about from suffering. God will use suffering for his kingdom's sake. He will use suffering for his kingdom's sake. It even happened in the New Testament in the book of Acts when these first believers came together. The the Romans said, no, no, this isn't going to happen. The Jews were against them. So what did they do? They scattered all over the known world. You know what happened when they scattered all, all over the known world? The gospel of Jesus Christ went with them. And so the suffering brought about a, a influence of the kingdom all over the world. And it's always been said that even in the darkest times, the church excels the most. And that's what happens. There's a third blessing that I saw that comes to is God will use these sufferings to refine us and to grow us up. Now, I don't like that. Okay. I wrote it down and I said it. I don't, I don't have to like it. But God uses suffering to make us grow. Listen, my default is not hard times. My default is to get in a glider in my living room and watch football all day. But that, that is my default. The spiritual growth in that is minimal. I will check, I will try to do things in my default, in my flesh, that are going to push against me growing as a, as a Christ follower. But suffering is always a catalyst for growth. And so for some of us, God has to use some kind of discomfort to get us growing. He may do it in you. He does it in me quite often. But this is the blessing that he talks about. And you do realize that there is full-blown Christian persecution happening all over the world. And if you do not, I'm going to give you some statistics right quick, some facts. These come from the Voice of the Martyrs, and they're very current statistics. This is Christian persecution around the world today. 245 million Christians in the world today are living under high levels of persecution, not just laughing at you because you're a Jesus freak. Not saying because you put a fish on your car or a t-shirt. There's some, I mean, there's 245 million people under duress simply because they love Jesus. There, there were 4,305 Christians killed for their faith last year. 4,305 killed for their faith last year. There were 1,847 churches and other religious uh, Christian buildings attacked 
last year. There are 3,150 Christians detained today in the world without trial, arrested and sentenced and imprisoned simply because they were followers of Jesus. This is foreign to us. Unless somebody puts something on the internet that we see from the other side of the world, it is foreign to us. And this is going on today. The top five countries that are persecuting Christians, first of all, are North Korea. It's been that way for the last 13 years. They've been the top. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, those are the top five where Christians are being persecuted today. You can see the maps as you Google search it and just see what is going on around our world. But the chances are most of you in this room in your lifetime will not face that kind of persecution. But the question I have for myself is, if it were to happen, how would I respond? Peter went on to tell these people, hey, there are some ways for you to respond. And there's three of them. Number one, he says this. He says, set apart Christ or, or revere Christ. This means to set apart Christ as Lord. This is what that means. Jesus is Lord means he is the owner, he is the manager, he has the rights and the control. And most of us say, but Lord, you can take this suffering away. Sure he could. He could. But we need to realize we set apart Jesus as Lord in our lives. He is Lord. It's not just so that you can go to heaven someday. It is he has the rights to you. He is Lord of all. And that's what Peter said. He says, set apart Christ in your life as Lord. But second of all, be prepared to give a defense on the why. Give a defense on the why. If, if somebody comes against you and you're suffering for the sake of Christ, be able to give a defense of why you are a follower of Jesus. Why? People... People may not believe what you believe, but they need to know what you believe. They need to know what is there that you hold on to that is so precious that you're willing to be ridiculed or to suffer for the sake of one. Why is that? And, and notice what um, Peter says. Do it with reverence and gentleness. Oh, the church today has given this world a whole lot of reasons to hate us, and it's not because of what we believe, and it didn't come from gentleness and reverence. It came from judgment. It came from ridiculing other people. It came from uh, us being so uh, stiff-necked about certain things that we have voiced ourselves, and there's been no love in it whatsoever. There's been no Jesus in it whatsoever. Listen. We cannot give the world an excuse to hate us unless it's just Jesus alone and the love of Christ. And what Peter says here, give a defense, be ready to say why you're doing this, but do it in gentleness and reverence. Do it in a loving way. They may not believe what you believe, but they're going to see what you do believe. And then there's a third thing that Peter said here. He said, uh, keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. Uh, live life in such a way 
that, that you are right with the Lord in, in the way you're living. Keep your conscience clear. Um, and, and I just want to, I, I just want to say this one more time. Don't give the world a reason to hate us other than just Jesus himself. Will it push you against this world's, this world's view? Sure it will. Yeah, it will. And like I say, I'm not talking about just a t-shirt that has Jesus loves me on it or a fish on your car. I'm talking about a life that is countercultural, that values life, that lifts up women and children and marriage and, and life itself, lifts it to a new level, lifts up purpose and forgiveness. We are called to live godly in Christ Jesus. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, I believe, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. And Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, I love this, blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on account of me. And then Luke says it this way, for great is your reward in heaven, for thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted, but let it be for the sake of the kingdom. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But the last thing that Peter does here in this in this chapter is and you, and you can put it down this way. It is possible to have a victorious life if you focus on Jesus. If you focus on Jesus, you notice what he said in the scriptures. He really it really kind of gets interesting that he says, let your focus be on Jesus. He goes on to say. In verse 17, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We're going to focus on Jesus. If we keep our focus on Jesus, knowing he is with us in the midst of what we're going through, knowing that he went through it before us, he set the example that we may follow in his steps. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. And then Peter uses a, 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 an interesting way of getting this across to the people. He cracks the veil a little bit to show us that there is something going on that we do not see. He cracks the veil into the spirit realm and he gives this picture of what Jesus did. After Jesus died, it says he went down... And he spoke to the spirits. Notice what it says here. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirit, to those who were disobedient long ago. And he gives, he gives these thoughts. Now, so I did all this study on this, on this. And let me tell you, nobody knows. Exactly. And so, uh, one one uh, that many uh, come to think about, 
you do realize that when Peter cracks the sky a little bit and gives you a thought in, in a sight into the spiritual realm, there are things going on today that you do not see. Okay, do we agree with that? That uh, there was uh, that there was a a time in the glory of heaven that there was an archangel by the name of Lucifer who uh, was kicked out. And it says a third of the host went with him, and we call this the demonic host that exists today. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, many think that these imprisoned souls were, in the book of Genesis, you can go back and read about it, it called them the, the sons of God, which we were probably demonic hosts, that these sons of God, that they had relations with the daughters of man, which would be earthly beings, this demonic situation. They had offspring. Many believe it was the Nephilim and or the giants, much like Goliath was. You're learning something. All of a sudden you woke up and you said, man, this is mystical. This is weird. But uh, this is what we look at. So many scholars believe that maybe these imprisoned spirits were from from that very situation that was there because he begins to talk about Noah and how that Noah and his family were saved and redeemed out of that. There are other theories out there on what this is. And we could spend all day long talking about these theories. However, the way I'm wired, I want to know why Peter put that in there in the first place. And this is what I've come to the conclusion. I think that what Peter is getting across to these Christians who are suffering, he's getting across to them, listen, Jesus is all authority. There is no, there's nothing demonic, there's nothing satanic, there's nothing, there's no principality, there's no authority that is greater than Jesus. He defeated them all. And so you need to hang on to that because what you are suffering will one day end. And all will bow to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting across. And these people all of a sudden found encouragement in that because they were suffering for the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, Peter says, hey, let's focus on Jesus, because let me tell you, he's defeated everything and he is authority. But the question for us is, is that do we believe that? See, what I I can sense it. I sense it in the first service. I sense it now. This is foreign to us. Because we've never been squeezed for our faith. The day may come. But let me tell you, when I think that 245 million on this planet are going through this, no wonder we're seeing God move all over the world except for in America. Because they're understanding the squeezing. I'll share one story and then I'll close. There was a man by the name of Graham Staines. Some of you may know who Graham Staines is. I'm about to tell you. Graham Staines and his wife Gladys went to, uh, they were, they were lived in Australia, went on the mission field to India. And in India, they fell in love with the people and they began to, uh, live among the lepers there to care for them. Once again, Jesus values life. He sends missionaries in to value life. And they went in to love these lepers. They had three children. They had Esther, who was their oldest, the daughter. And then they had two younger boys, Philip and Timothy. On January the uh, January 23rd, 1999, 
Graham and his two boys, the two sons, had gone to a conference uh, there in the, that area of India where they lived. And they went there to talk about how they can spread the love of Jesus to the people of India. And they were meeting with other Christians. On their way back, they decided because it was getting late and it was kind of cool that they, I guess it was a normal for them, in their, in their, their truck van, they pulled over to the side of the road and they decided to sleep for the night, Graham and his two sons. There was a group of, of uh, Indian Hindu radicals that uh, had taken offense at the Christians being there. And they had said things like they were forcing people to be Christians and all these things. You know how the Satan is the father of lies. They came, 50 of them. They surrounded that van. And what they did is they set it ablaze. Graham and his boys tried to get out, but these 50 forced them back in. And they burned to death in that van. They burned to death simply because they were followers of Jesus. That's all. They were just followers of Jesus. Gladys took up the mantle and she stayed there among the lepers to continue to love them. What makes somebody do that if God hadn't radically changed them? But that is what Graham Staines did and and he gave his life. Now, the whole Indian government and everybody kind of took up the mantle to to see that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. But simply because they were followers of Jesus. Now, here's the final point. I'm going to be candid with you. I do not know what I would do if I was that squeezed. I want to think, man, Jesus, I would follow you. I would give my life for you. I would do these things. I just don't fully know. But I pray that that will happen. But you've got to make the decision now. You make the decision now. Uh, it's probable that your attractive life will make a difference in this world. It's possible that you will come under attack. But we're all called to keep our eyes and focus on Jesus. Thank you.